This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, my name's Ben Aronovich. I work for b7media.com and sundry others. I've been doing my homework on you since uh, I found out we were going to get you for the podcast. And one of the things that I realized while I was doing my homework is actually I I think I followed your career very closely, uh, even though I didn't plan on that. You know, it wasn't like I was saying, I'm going to follow this guy's career. But I've I've been following your career at least since the first episode you wrote of uh, the original Doctor Who. And, and since that was the beginning of my career, you have, in fact, followed my career since the beginning. Is that, how, how did you end up getting that as your first job? Oh, very, very jammy. I was very, very lucky. Um, what happened was is that uh, I, I received a tip, uh, and this doesn't work anymore, but I received a tip that the way to uh, break into television as a writer was to target specific script editors. So you watch television, and you'd have script editors at the end. This is BBC and ITV. Mm-hmm. And it, if they were doing programs you liked, you'd send your scripts directly to them, because you must always send to a, a real person. Yeah, you can't just put a uh, you know no. character who is the doctor, and that won't work. Yes. So um, I, I didn't send it actually to Andrew Cartmel, who was script editor of Doctor Who at the time, because I didn't realize Doctor Who was still running, which was easy thing to do in those days. Really? They, well, they kept on taking it off. Yeah, that's true. Even around the schedule, and I just kind of lost track of it. And this is before time shifting. You know, you either watched the thing when it came out, or you didn't watch it at all, really, in those days. Indeed. You know, just beginning to get video, but I couldn't afford a video. So, um, yeah, videos were big, expensive, heavy pieces of kit that you're kind of school. No, it wasn't that that long ago. It was 1988. It was. 1985, 1986. Yeah, but my rice career started. Yeah, 85, they were still pretty expensive. It was five or $600. Yeah. And so, anyway, um, I, I, so I sat there with my notebook and I made a note. And I made a note of a, a woman called Caroline Alton, who's no longer working in the industry. And she was doing a police series that I quite liked. And so I sent a script for something that was uh, like what sort of thing she liked to her. And uh, she read it. She liked it. Did you hear that? Because that was something. Yep, I'm hearing it. Right. Uh, she liked it, and then I, I then I then she said, "What do you like?" And I said, "Well, I like thrillers and science fiction." So she said, "Write a script for a series called Rockless Babies, which was a, a cop show, or what we'd call a badger, and uh, Doctor Who." So I wrote one for each, and she sent scripts off to the relevant script editors. And Rockless Babies wasn't renewed. Never heard of it, so I yeah I would no, guess it wasn't. You wouldn't have heard of your side of the pond at all, really. No. And um, and Doctor Who was renewed, and so therefore uh, Andrew said, "Come in," and we bounced around ideas, and you know he said, "Give me some ideas," and I gave him some ideas, and he rejected them. And then one day he phoned me up and said, uh, "We want you to do the Dalek story." And uh, after I'd stopped choking, I said yes, and that was nice, nice. Really. That's a, so uh, that's very 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 jammy. That was very very jammy. That's um, uh, it, I mean, if, if you're going to write a Doctor Who episode, people probably want to do the Dalek episode because it's always, I, I would assume it's the biggest ratings and it's, it's uh, it, the budget uh, for 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 
for that episode, I guess it was called Remembrance of the Daleks. Was it seemed really big compared to yeah, they, a lot they, of the they others? Pulled out, they pulled out stops for it. They pulled out stops for it, and also, <clears throat> I don't know. You see, uh, whether you saw the budget on screen was a matter. Of, you have to understand the way the BBC worked in those days. It's, it wasn't like what we would regard as a professional production company. Um, you were assigned people out of a pool of people. And sometimes you got the good people, sometimes you got the bad people, and sometimes you got the indifferent people. And you didn't actually get to choose. And, you know, so sometimes you'd get like a really good special effects technician, but a really crap production designer. Or you'd get a really good production designer, a really crap special effects team. And it, it just, it, it was just mind blowingly frustrating. And, um,. And I think I lucked out. I think I lucked out on Remembrance. I got like the people who wanted... To, I got a mad person for a special effects who thought nothing of using uh, uh, high explosives in central London, which you're yeah. really not to do. There's a lot of explosions in that episode. Oh, big. And those, those, were, those were even bigger than they look. They, they, you actually... Because they didn't tell the director quite how big they were going to be. So, yeah, this camera's in quite close. They're huge explosions. Yeah, they filled the screen. I was standing next to a couple of them. They were enormous. And um, and so, you know, and I got very... You always got a good cast, though. I noticed that cast was something you can always rely on in British drama, generally, is getting a very good kind of experienced cast, especially at your kind of, like, your plus 30s. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when yeah, actually, they're pretty good with, with uh, filling in the roles with a lot of older folks. Yeah, if you if you have your like your plus thirties, you get a lot of very experienced stage actors who do a bit of telly to kind of like you know fill out the bills, pay the bills, mm-hmm. and they tend to be very very good. I, I recently worked on one of the audios with Jeffrey Palmer, and he was a total revelation. He was he was just it was just I've just never seen anyone in control of the, their acting ability in quite the same way. And you contrast them with the younger actors; you have to get prepared, and they have to. <laughs> get into character and these older actors they just go oh, i shall do it with 20 percent more fear now and then they just do it with 20 percent more fear or 32 percent more experience <laughs> how do you do that that's impressive i will work with you again i will write parts only for people over 40 from now on and so that was that that was that was a lot of fun i mean of course this is i didn't know any of this i was like you know the first time first time for everything so well, it, it doesn't. It doesn't look like a first-time script. Uh, Thank you very much. It it, it, it is a first-time script. You, if you if you're me, you can you sit there cringing all the way through it, going ah oh ah crap, I like oh ah nasty. Uh, uh, the only the, and uh, I'm uh, I'm going to take this as uh, against your recent blog post saying I should never criticize. The only thing that I can <laughs> think of, uh, which I, I'll, I'll maybe I should maybe I should read that. Uh, where is it? Say. Um, I shall eviscerate you. <laughs> yeah, it says uh, if you must criticize an author, do it to his face at the end of the conversation. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna fly in the face of that. I guess I'm brave. I think the only thing that um, was happening in that episode that is worthy of criticism is that there's a lot going on. Um, if you if you were new to the show, you probably wouldn't pick up a lot of the things that were going on. But um, as I've been thinking about. All, all your your productions, I, I see sort of, and I was thinking about it last night. Um, uh, there's a sort of a you, you you need at least two things in all you, all all everything I've read from you. You've got sort of a opposing or not opposing two things that go together. So in Remembrance of the Daleks, we've got first we've got Daleks, and second we've got uh, a revisit of 
I guess, the setting of An Unearthly Child, the very first Doctor Who episode. Um, it's the same, it's, uh, I think in one scene, they show the actual television broadcast about to start. Yes, I, I, I wasn't very sure of that, but there was no stopping them. It was very expect. cute. It was very cute. But it was very cute. But there's it, a lot going on in that episode. It's got racism. It's an allegory against racism. It's got um, uh, Daleks. It's got uh, the original Doctor Who. It's got the uh, the hand of I was going to say Morbius, but that's not right. The hand of Omega. Omega. Um, and and it's got the two uh, two sets of Daleks right that are uh, fighting each other. Um, and I kept expecting uh, to see Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart show up too, because we got sort of a <laughs> uh, a unit, uh, almost a, a proto unit uh, group there. And um, so it it almost it, maybe it needed like six episodes to fully flesh well, out uh, everything. I I think I think I, I mean I find a lot of of especially British television, especially at that point, I find it very draggy. Well, it doesn't I, drag. It certainly does. I find I find a lot of I find a lot of dramas that I think they could do with another element. I mean, I agree what you mean, but I find this is a criticism, and it's a valid criticism that that gets leveled at me quite a lot. Is that um, there's too much going on in the stuff that I write, and I think it's because I I used to watch things and go, yeah, but this is just one idea. Can we have two ideas? Mm-hmm. Two, you know, just a, and um, if you watch uh, a lot of very there's a lot of very fine American script writing going on in television at the moment. Yeah, there is. And if you watch something like an episode of Law and Order, especially the first half, which is the bit I always watch, I very rarely watch the second half, which is the, the cop drama bit, mm-hmm. and you see they'll pack a tremendous, they'll pack all that into 22 minutes. They'll cop a whole cop drama with, you know, uh, a, a plot and a subtext and a subplot into 22 minutes. And yep. I, I, I think sometimes people think, oh, you need more time to do this. I think you need to be a good writer to do it. And I, I, I think possibly if, if you're finding too many elements, it's because I, I hadn't quite got, I haven't got the skill to at that point to integrate them. I like to think that if I did it now, I'd integrate the, some of those elements a bit better. Well, they used to, they used to give the, the, uh, the episodes a longer arc, you know, like six, six, six serial half hours. Right. Um, yes. And now I think I, I haven't been watching the new doctor who since, Whenever it rebooted after Sylvester McCoy, um, and uh, the one ep- one or two episodes that I've seen, they were very compressed. In that they were a I don't know ninety minute block or something. I can't even remember exactly, but they're forty five minutes generally. Forty five minutes, okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, so the, it's it's done very differently, um, uh, but it, nah, I don't want to even go there. Let's um. Let's uh, move on. Yeah, Moving let's move on. on. <laughs> so the other, the, the so after I saw your first career debut, I, uh, the last uh, Doctor Who episode that you did, as far as I'm aware, was Battlefield, which was the that's the one. Yeah, that, that's the second. Uh, is that the last season? Yeah, it's the yes. last season. Uh, not you, you didn't kill the show though, because um, that wasn't the last episode of that season. In fact, that's quite a good episode. Um, I don't. I don't know what exactly killed the show, but that that has one of the oh the undying hatred of the of the top brass of the BBC killed that show. I have no. I'll stand by that. Yeah, I, I, they, I, they couldn't I, kill it very forever, though, right? Well, no, because it's 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 like um, I don't think they wanted it back. They only took it back because um, 
by the time we got round to it again, you see, you, we've got what's known, I think of as the fetishization of the writer now, which is where you have these writers and they become powerful because uh, they're reliably, they're, they're for, you see a large section of, of the top sections of, of television in Britain, Britain can't actually read scripts. They're not very good at reading scripts. They don't know a good script from a bad script. And so therefore, they they kind of hedge their bets by getting people like Russell T. Davis, oh, he's a big name, or Andrew Davis, and other very good writers. I mean, there are very good writers out there, Stephen Moffat, very good, very, very, very good writers. And then say, well, give them full control, and they'll produce something, and we won't have to, you know, it won't be our fault. It won't necessarily be our fault if it all goes horribly wrong. And uh, I think they really wanted Russell, Russell T. Davis, and they wanted him to do kind of more kind of queer as folks, and he said, I want to do Doctor Who. And they said, oh, God, let him do a season of Doctor Who. Get it out of his system. Well, and, he, he did he did queer it up a little bit. But uh, the very first episode I saw, I think uh, the, the companion says, oh, Doctor, you're so gay or something like that. <laughs> and I thought, is he? I, don't, I think he's more asexual than anything they, else. They, they didn't want proof that a Saturday night science fiction show could wipe the floor with the ratings and that's what it did it just proceeded to kill everything else kill everything that ITV threw at it and um, and ITV and BBC have been looking forward to doing nothing on Saturday nights except kind of like reality shows and along comes this drama and just basically wipes the floor with everything put up against it and and they suddenly realized, and I think part of that was because there was this Doctor Who shaped hole. I really mm-hmm. think there was this Doctor Who. My son, who'd never seen an episode of Doctor Who, not even the ones I'd written, he was much too young to have seen, you know, he was born 10 years after I wrote Doctor Who. He knew what a TARDIS was. He knew what a TARDIS was when he was like eight. I mean, he knew what a Dalek was when he was eight. So I think there was this kind of Doctor Who shaped hole in the British psyche. And all it took was someone to come along and put it back in it where it was supposed to be on the Saturday nights with monsters and retain all the elements that we like, you know, the, which is, includes a certain amount of campness, a certain amount of archness as well, and monsters and companions and the Doctor and fun and the rest, as they say, is history. Indeed. And now it's like an enormous cash cow. Yeah, it's. Uh, uh, I think they're running out of regeneration, so they're they're killing him <laughs> off far too quickly. Is what is he down to his eleventh now or something? Yeah, I think we're going to just ignore that. I don't yeah. know, my suspicion. We'll just go. Oh, were they? Uh, it's more like a guideline. Yeah, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> What's well, the average? It's the average. It's Most average. guys only get twelve, but this guy is special. special. Yeah, he, because he's half human or something. I, I think they added that recently. Um. Uh, well, I I I think I must have watched it uh, shortly after it ran in the UK because uh, when I started, it, it surprises it surprises me that you didn't know it was even still on uh, because when I started uh, watching it, it was uh, John Pertwee, not actual in real time, running in the 1970s, I guess it was like like yeah, early 70s, um, but on a KVO, KVOS was a local. American channel that we can get up here, and um, they they would put it on at one o'clock in the morning or midnight, and run it not as a serial but as a, a movie. So it would be you know two hours or an hour and a half, and you didn't know what it was going to be uh, unless you knew what the schedule was going to be. And back then there was no internet, and so they started with Pertwee and then ran all the way up to, I guess, uh, to Sylvester McCoy, and then. Uh, went back and filled in 
bits here and there, I guess. And that would run every Saturday night. So I, I was I was deeply aware that it, it existed because it was it was the what I would do every Saturday night. Well, you see, I'd watched Pertwee. You see, for us, it was a series that was on when it was on. You know, it was like when it was first broadcast. And I watched Pertwee was in nineteen seventy to nineteen seventy four, and so there would regularly be gaps where it wasn't on because, like all series, you know, they only made so many episodes and. It was only shown so many nights of the year, night on Saturday nights, mm-hmm. and um, so you would get together. And then I was just getting to that age where you no longer kind of watch television on a Saturday night; you're out doing other stuff. Sure. And they started moving it around the schedule. Then they cancelled it. See, so there wasn't this continuing thing, and then they brought it back. And then they, I think, and then the, I can't remember if there was a cancellation again. I think there was another gap. Between... Yeah, but I, I, I think it was a year long gap. I don't think it was a. It, yeah, uh, but when you're when you're sort of for, what's Twenty twenty four years yeah. ages, you know, you're still years still ages, and now a year can go past. You, oh my god, it's two thousand eleven. That was a what week, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But back then, you know, remember, a year was forever. A year was forever. That's true. That's <laughs> you know, a year true. Was like, oh, oh, yeah, oh no. You know. Yeah, it's it's so cancelled, and it feels like a, a decade. Yeah, yeah, and then then you just can you just kind of forget about it, which is uh, precisely, I think, what they had in mind, really, what they were aiming for. So. Well, they 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 tried to revive it in the states briefly uh, on uh, uh, yes. a Fox, <laughs> Fox two-hour movie that was the least Doctor Who episode that's ever been filmed. I think uh, it was bizarre. It was bizarre because if you were going to deviate that far from the original format, I would have gone further. I mean, I would I wouldn't have had all that continuity in it. Yeah, it's I, it, it's really. I'm not even sure if they consider it. Uh, canon or whatever. Uh, it's considered, yes, he's considered one of the doctors. It's considered, it's considered canon. Very strange. It is. I think they even cut the TARDIS. I mean, what were they thinking? Americans are not going to figure this out. It's a, <laughs> the only way you can recognize a police box in the UK even is because of its association. It's with, with the TARDIS. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> Very well, it was, it was, it was like, but I mean, it was the thing is, I would have done it. Um, as like an episode of the X Files. Actually, if you if I'd had my way at that period, I would have done it as an episode of the X Files, where one minute you're watching like the first fifteen twenty minutes is the X Files, and then you suddenly switch character viewpoints. Yeah, so yeah, that would have worked a lot better. Investigating this weird person with two hearts, spooky alien music, and then suddenly you are the spooky alien. You're following the spooky alien instead. Maybe of, that's you know. what they were going for. Is they were trying to compete with the X Files? I don't really. I, I, I don't think they did it very well. It was, a, it was both Fox, though, so maybe they're just co- trying to compliment it or something. Yeah, I don't know. It was beautifully made. It was beautifully made. Yeah, but if, you know, I still think they should have just gone the X-Files. And never mind, that's like all water under the bridge. And mm-hmm. I thought it was a big good performance by Paul McGann. Oh, it's fine. It was fine. Yeah, I thought the elements were all there. I just thought the script was terrible. Yeah, it wasn't. It was not. I think it that's. I think that's shot. where they introduced he was half human or something. Yeah, that's where they. That was the big revelation. Is like, yeah, uh, uh, that's that actually doesn't make it better. Actually, no. <laughs> I, it's easy to ignore that because I just say he was suffering from anoxia at the time. <laughs> so, um, I I actually so uh, I read I, I I watched the two episodes and then uh, when the show was cancelled. Um, I read the started reading the new adventures, and I think <laughs> at one of yours, um, it's it was called Transit, and I, I was oh, looking yes. on my bookshelf and I couldn't find it, uh, so I probably lent it to a friend or something. Um, for my sins, <laughs> I don't remember it at all, other than I remember reading it. 
What was that? That was who was the doctor in this? Uh, that it? was Sylvester. That was oh, Sylvester. Okay. All right. And and the new adventures sort of continued the show uh, while there was no show. Yes. And uh, is that series still going? No, no. The, uh, the BBC reabsorbed it when they realized it was making money. I gotcha. So they took away. So it was great because I wrote two and a half books and they've all been pulped. It was like my first two and a, two and a half novels and they were both pulped. So. Because Virgin, they were done by Virgin Books and Virgin lost the license. So they just did. Well, they must be going up in value then on eBooks uh, well, yeah, or something. I, I looked. I looked recently, as you do, like all writers do on eBay. I keep you know, a little, especially when you've got a name like Aronovich. It's very easy to keep track of these things on eBay. And and I have to say, it, like ninety nine p is kind of like the peak value of an. Wow, that's If I become famous, they'll go up in price. Well, you are on this podcast. You, Thank you. That's pretty. <laughs> go up after this podcast, there will be an increase. <laughs> that's right. Increase right. There will be a slight increase. It would be like a, a, a pound. Oh yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, speaking of books, um, I I've been following your blog, but I I guess I I didn't notice that you were actually the writer on a lot of these books that you're talking about <laughs> because they're not out yet, right? They're not on store. No, uh, the the first one. Well, also because the it's confusing because they're called different things in America and Britain. So that's right. So the first one is is uh, where is it? It's something in London. It's the, the, the first one is called Rivers of London, right? Um, Britain. Okay, and that's out on the tenth of January for any British people watching or people who want to order it from from Amazon.co.uk and um, or Amazon Canada. Yep, it does. And uh, and the and the American thing is called uh, uh, Midnight Riot. I think I like the American cover more. A British cover's good, but the American cover's got a dude with a gun and magic in the other. (laughs) The smoke pouring up with a. It's it's a better font. I don't know. You think? I like the font. Yes. No. I think I like both of them. I like I like the unrepresentational and the representational cover. You know. I, you I actually have both, to, yeah. Yes, I, I like, I, you know, for so me. We should order one of each, is what you're saying. Yes, I'm, <laughs> I, you should definitely order one of each, especially the first edition, because, you know, they will be valuable one day, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> in fact, order two of each and then keep, you know, one copy of each wrapped in Lucite, just in case. Sounds good. That's what I say. That's my recommendation to everyone listening to this podcast. And then the second book in the series, Moon Over Soho, is out in February in America and March in Britain. And then there will be a third book called Whispers Underground, which will be out at the end of the year. And this is pretty pretty interesting because most most of the time you write a uh, series of books, they they all come out one per year or one every year and a half or so. This is a three book deal, and they all come out in one year. Yeah, having worked in a bookshop, I know now. I now know, understand what the thinking behind that is. The thinking is, is that then you get a presence on the shelf, so your book doesn't like forlornly disappear, disappear amongst many other books mm-hmm. on the shelf. You end up with a nice solid flanks of about three books on the shelf, so it makes it much more visible. It's it's kind of like, especially since these aren't kind of doorstepper books; they're not the size of you know small tanks. Like, like, like. Well, you're flooding the convention then. 
I'm flattered. Well, I, I, I strictly kept them to under 100,000 words. That's why I said, if you're going to write books, write them under 100,000 words. Not that I've got anything against enormous books. I like enormous books. As much I, as have, I have lots against enormous books. They're too I, big. I, well, I, I, I think I'm beginning to get a bit... I like... See, I, there's nothing more that I got the like. I got the latest Hamilton. It was like, yes, it's so big! Uh, because that's what you kind of expect from a Peter F. Hamilton. You want a huge it, book. Yeah, the, he, 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 people seem to think that he actually puts content in those pages, though. <laughs> Which is not always true of a lot of them. Yeah, well, that's true. Well, you, you, there, there's that phrase, extruded fantasy product, which I always <laughs> like. And, um, I, but I, I was actually thinking much more of Michael Moorcock, who used to produce lots of very slim novels. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, with more ideas per page than, than most people manage in a book. And I, I was kind of more emulating. You see, there you go. Again, it's the, the more stuff, you know, crowding the stuff in. And I have had uh, some early reviews have said, oh, it's very crowded. What's going on? Uh, well, there's a nice quote on the uh, on the American cover from Charlene Harris, who I, I've only read her first book uh, in that series, but I thought was really terrific. And it wasn't too big. Uh, so she's recommending it. That's that's uh, a pretty good. How oh, did yes, I that? was very very pleased with that. And Peter F. Hamilton, those two blew me away. I was oh, blown he gave away you a quote that. too. Yeah, he gave me a quote. He gave me a quote, a really good quote too. And I was so pleased with that. It was like, oh god, like total fanboy kind of <laughs> meltdown at that point. Uh, and there's one from Diana Gabaldon. Is that how you Gabaldon, say Gabaldon, yes, who who writes a series of sort of Scottish time traveling epics. I can't. Well, it says. What would happen if Harry grew up and joined the pol- the the fuzz? The fuzz is the British slang for the police. Right. Okay. Uh, so it's people. like Harry Potter meets uh, uh, Law and Order. <laughs> Not exactly. Or the first half of Law and Order. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm trying to think what it would be. You see, I would. Do you, you? How much British television do you know? Oh, pretty. Uh, I, I I think there was you know, a show called Sweeney. The Fuzz. Uh, Vaguely, I've only heard of it. I've never seen it. Uh, the, the, if you're if you're a Londoner, the kind of the Sweeney's very iconic kind of um, iconic kind of show. It's kind of it like the, it was like the classic kind of seventies. It's kind of like the Kojak. It's like the British version of Kojak. It's it's kind of like tough policemen on tough streets. Kind of uh, yeah, gotcha. lots of Cockney rhyming slang. And I I always think of it as Harry Potter meets the joys of Sweeney. Is how I thought of it. Sounds good. So yes, it's a it's a if you think of uh, probably the best example, you know the Dresden Files. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what know, I was the, thinking too. The, the Dresden Files is a is a kind of like a Gandalf noir. <laughs> which is, yeah. You know, if you imagine Gandalf was a or young Gandalf was a, a, a hard boiled detective on the mean streets of Chicago, nice. this is a sort of police procedural wizard. So it's it's kind of like it's not a noir; it's a police procedure. It's it's got lots of uh, police. Police crunch in it. Police crunch. Um, so it, it is. Is everyone aware that he is uh, a magician, or is this like a secret it's identity? An open secret. It's an open secret in the Met that there are people that you go to when things get a bit odd, but no one apart from the guy who's training him really knows how the full extent of 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 magic and everything. Most people have, and he thought it was going away. You see, that was the mistake. They all thought it was kind of fading away, and it wasn't. Dun, dun, dun. See. Well, that that sounds like uh, we're going to get a twist in there. Um, I uh, let's let's not go into too too much because I have I have not even no, seen a summary. I have not even done a summary 
I couldn't find a summary of it on anywhere. It, it's com- first no? coming January. Is there any any early reviews out anywhere? Uh, yes. Um, hold on. Blah 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 blah. I I like most authors collect my reviews avidly while denying it. Absolutely. <laughs> like, <before we do. laughs> um, <laughs> let me see. Uh, there are well, there's. Uh, there's a summary. There's a kind of little summary on um, on Amazon.com now. Oh, that so must have been brand new. If you look up Ben Aronovich on Amazon.com, I also have. I've got an author's page on Ben Aronov- on Amazon.com, which you probably have it now. And then there's reviews on BookMonkey. Um, Sci-Fi Guy will probably do a review. He hasn't done a review yet. He's done the covers. You review the well, covers. <laughs> well, I, he liked the cover. I sent him the cover because I know he likes covers and I yeah. like his stuff. So covers good. Um, Rob will review book face. They're all British. Goodreads. Goodreads. Has oh, sent Goodreads. Out 150, Great. Yeah, one hundred and fifty cover, cover copies, free copies to people, and and people are reviewing them. Some of them not so wonderful. So I don't want to. Sounds good. Don't read the bad ones. Read the good ones. Only read the good ones. Uh, you know what? <laughs> I like bad reviews because bad reviews. Uh, can sometimes it, 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 who depending on who's writing them, right? If you get a, a a long enough review, you can tell whether you're going to like a book based on the review, whether it's a good review or a bad review, or as in a, it's a it's a positive review or a negative review. Because you know, an idiot who reviews a book badly, uh, but gives you the things that he hates that you like, can make you say, "I want to read that book." Um. That's happened to me many times. Where I, I remember a friend of mine was looking at a review of uh, Richard K. Morgan's, um, uh, what was it called, The Steel Remains, which is uh, his first fantasy. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I remember. Just, and, and one of the reviews on Amazon because I've, I've been following Richard K. Morgan's books and enjoying them, and um, somebody said um, oh, it's full of gay stuff. And it's, it's, and it's, I don't need homosexual sex in my books. Um, and it has all this and all that. And it's like, oh, this sounds pretty good. And, so, and, and it's, it's controversial and it makes people who are crazy upset. So, hey, I'm going to like this book. No, it's a very good book. I liked it a lot. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was pretty good. We did a whole podcast on it. I, I liked it. I liked it much better than. I mean, I liked his 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 the 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 altered carbon. Yeah, that was series. a. But I really like that more than the Altered Carbon series. And it took me a long time to work out why. And I think it's because it's it's kind of uh, it's hard to, I think it's more compact. I did you did it, you read his um his essay on uh on where he got the inspiration? He he talked about um uh, reading a passage from Tolkien and uh he said this this one passage shows you a whole different world inside of uh Mordor or something. And he said, this is the world I'm going for. And Tolkien didn't go there, and that's where I'm going to make my book. It was a very controversial post he put up on some website somewhere. Yeah, uh, well, it, it, it seems to be... I mean, I, I don't, haven't read that. I, I, I never do this kind of thing. I don't, I've never understood this need to kind of ideologize your, your reasons for doing things. I, I do them because they're cool. I do stuff he did it cool. very cleverly. I think he did it with all the gusto that... You know, he, he's, he really likes to churn things up on his blog is always full of he that. does but it's like it's like it's like it, Joe Abercrombie another writer it, I love as people well read it, who didn't want to read it uh, they, they say oh yeah you think you can beat Tolkien I'll read it <laughs> you know it's well, like it, it, he basically saying you know Tolkien's a uh, 
to um, Sappy. And, and yes. people say, oh, you, you think you can write better in Tolkien, huh? I'll read your book and prove you wrong. Well, there's a lot of writers like China Melville and Abercrombie and, and Morgan who, who think they're good because they're grim, but are actually good because they're good and could write Fluffy and it would be good, or they could write out-and-out total kind of madcap kind of like i don't know stuff they could write anything and it would be good they like grim so they write grim but i'd like mistake to richard k morgan fluffy that would be interesting <laughs> well i don't think he wants to write fluffy no and so therefore i don't think he don't i don't think you should write uh you see i'm much more optimistic than them i go around being kind of cheerful and and pie in the sky and so therefore my work tends to be kind of lighter um but you know i they, there's a lot of people out there who think, you know, it's grim, grim is good, grim is more real, grim is more realistic. And I don't actually agree with that. I just think these guys are good. They're not good because they're grim. They're just good. And that's that their stuff is good. You like it because they're good writers, especially Abercrombie and, and Morgan are particularly good writers. Joe, Joe Abercrombie? I've never. Yeah, Joe Abercrombie. You've never read them? I've never, never read one of those. I, I, I have read uh, Morgan and. Um, Someone else you mentioned, uh, Mayville, Mayville. Yeah, Mayville. Yeah, Perdido Street Station. Hmm. So I really enjoyed. And uh, no, Joe Abercrombie. I recommend. Well, I, I, you might not like it, but I, I picked him up, and someone said, "Read this." And I went, "Whoa!" It was one of those books where you pick it up, and I just went, "Nymph!" All the way through it. Then, yeah, I must have the second book now. Nymph! All the way <laughs> nice. there, and then all the way through. I bought the third book with my own money, which is, which is like that, a, that's an endorsement right there. Well, I was working in a bookshop at the time, and you almost never try and buy books with your own money if you can possibly help it when you work in a bookshop. So, and I was like, oh, no, I can't wait for the free copy. I must have it immediately. So I just read it, and that was, it was just very good. And then I buy all his stuff, and I'm waiting for his, his next book as well, with bated breath. And I keep mentioning this to my publisher in the hope that that will be a free copy <laughs> Maybe they'll get you to do a quote on it and send you a like, yeah. Oh, free copy! <laughs> well, that's uh, that's why I got my great website. You guys have been sending uh, the Blake 7 audio to me since... I guess I started posting about it uh, when it was on... It was on the Sci-Fi Channel website, which was a uh, yes, very was strange release right. mechanism, but it, it was new Blake 7, and... Uh, it was very hard to listen to in little three-minute snippets. I, was it three minutes or five minutes? Five minutes. It was. You think it was hard to write? It was kill to write that way. It was like very it. hard to you know you know you have to get the in the context. Uh, you get it started and then the sh- shows over. Then you w- was a wait a, a day or a week or something and you get the next episode and oi, what are they trying to do here? Oh, uh, I don't know. I never was really quite sure what they were trying to do on that. Um, did drive me to their website, to but uh, I didn't. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't live in the UK, so. I and the website was dreadful as well. So, I I never really understood what on earth, what on earth they were really doing. There are there are some things. precedents for releasing things that way, but uh, I don't. Know. Well, now everything's digital, but the idea of doing this, like the idea was that it would be something that would fit on mobile phones. This was back when mobile All phones right. you know, got five minutes of drama on them. But of course now, you know, my mobile phone has actually more memory than my iPod. So it's yeah, it's only three years ago. It's surprising how uh, yeah, it how much things have changed. Fast. 
very, very fast. So uh, I never did really understand the, the logic. That's something that, that um, Andrew Sewell does. You see, he comes to me and he says, we need to be in five-minute instruments. You go, okay, and off you go. As a writer, <laughs> that's kind of like your job. It's like the producer comes and says, we need them to be 37.5 seconds long and have three people in. You go, okay, and off you go. And you write something 37 minutes, five seconds long with three people in it. Because, but, uh, when you put it all together, though, it doesn't feel like a whole bunch of three-minute scenes. Um, that yeah, we, the good I mean, news. That, that was the effort. That's what cost us. That what what's made it hard. You see, if anyone, you know, you, we could have done a series of little vignettes, but getting it to, to, you know, to fit together. That's that's what caused blood to flow from my eyeballs at one point. I swear. Uh, and did did that run the first uh, the rebel trader the and the yes. uh, a liberator? Right, it's rebel yeah. trader liberator, um, and. It, all three of those ser- series, uh, story... We call that first series. So that's okay. the like, first three stories of the first series, we call that. Um, yeah, and then the, you, you released a box set, uh, which I reviewed, I guess, in 2008, and gave it our, our um, SFF Audio Essential designation, which is our way of saying, this is the best stuff out there! I know we were very pleased to get it. Thank you. Well, uh, I was very pleased to have have what I, I was. I think I said this is like you know I really really enjoyed Blake Seven. I saw it maybe uh, part of it in the eighties and some more in the nineties, and it was it was it, it was the other other Doctor Who it was Star Trek British is what I thought of it as, um, and then later on I'm realizing no, it's actually it's Robin Hood in space. Um, but it's it's really strange to say that the audio drama is superior to the television show, but that's what I was saying, and I think it's true. I think you took all the really cool stuff that was in the show, um, kept all the cool stuff. Um, I don't even know what you dropped exactly, because maybe you dropped the 70 sets. <laughs> I, I, I think we just gave it a, a, a 21st century gloss, to be honest. I, th- I think it was, you know, if you watch it, and I did, I mean, I've got the, the DVDs. I mean, one of the first things I did was watch the whole series again. And it's got lots of, and I watched it, when, of course, when it first came out when I was a kid. But it, it was what it was of its time. And it suffered from all the problems of being what it was on its time, you know. And, and when... When you all you have to do really is strip out the stuff that kind of made it of its time, and it ends up being much more potential. It kind of liberates it a bit. So you, the clunky sets, the weird costumes, the kind of mannered performances, the piece, the, the 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 accents and everything, and then suddenly it all starts to it all. It, you know, it it was a very good idea. Well, Terry Nation had these very good ideas. He was yeah. very good at ideas. He was not so good at sort of like carrying them on beyond a certain point but then he had uh, Boucher who was very very good at the nuts and bolts of science fiction, it was a very good nuts and bolts of science fiction, did a lot of fun one-liners I mean everyone remembers kind of Avon's one-liners, I suspect most of those were were Chris Boucher's I mean a lot of the really ones that really stick in the mind Yeah, there's uh, somebody did a clip of I think uh, all the one-liners yes. that Avon does in the original series and it's mostly him slagging off, <laughs> off poor Villa I mean, if you look at it, it's yeah. Like all of them are like being horrible to Villa, <laughs> and and it's been very influential. If you, I mean, it's been very influential. You can see hints of it in Firefly. You can see hints of it in yeah. I didn't think of Farscape that. Farscape and Farscape. 
particularly. There's just one scene in Farscape where they're on the run and they receive a they're, they're hiding down with all their power down and they receive a distress signal, and uh, so someone's calling us for help. How stupid is that? And it was the way Crichton said it, and I just thought, my God, that's just that's like echoing. I can hear Blake Seven echoing through that line. Hmm. I never I never saw that show. That was the one. You never saw that show. I no. really enjoyed that show. It was mad and Australian and just a lot of fun. I recommend it. Okay, I'll check it out. It's uh, just it's keep going. Probably on DVD somewhere. <laughs> oh, it's it's... shows you need you need a run up. So you okay. just get like series one, and then just don't stop until you get to the end. Okay. <laughs> All right, we'll give that a shot. Um, uh, the uh, the um, you know how I was saying back at the beginning, I was saying there was this duality thing, or the two you you uh, you have two opposing or not opposing. You have two things, and you put them together. And I was thinking, yes. I was thinking about this quite a lot for some reason yesterday. I was thinking, I think this is a, it's it's not a theme. It's it's something you just do. So in, I I I don't honestly see it in the first, um, uh, in Rebel. That's the one you wrote for uh, no, no, Rebel. Rebel. I wanted to basically. I was telling them basically the origins. Yeah, story, and I was trying to be quite faithful to the original series because all of those if, three episodes are very faithful. Yes, and my thought was, I want something that's, you know, Blake 7. I don't want to kind of get too tricky with it. I want, I want Blake 7 for the 21st century. So but in, Cali, like in the Cali uh, prequel series, you, after you'd finished the Rebel, Traitor, uh, Liberator, you did uh, prequel. So where, were, where was everyone before everything started? And yes. You did, uh, it's two half-hour episodes in one CD, and it's Blood and Earth, Flag and Flame. Uh, uh, Flag and Flame was done by James Swallow. Oh, really? Oh, not oh, James Swallow. Uh, Mark sorry. Platt. Mark, Mark Platt. There it is. Oh. See, I'm going to get beaten up for that now. That's all right. All the other of them. Yes, Mark Platt. Yes, the, the, we, we tried doing a... That's because we tried doing a half-hour prequel on one disc, and we really didn't think it was value for money. No, it's better so, to fill up that disc. So we thought next time it was just it was just the way it fell out. The production cycle fell out. You know, we had such and such an amount of studio time and such and such amount of, and we thought that really wasn't you know good enough. And we we also realised that you needed three people per half hour. You couldn't two people were stretching it a bit unless you're Simon Gurrier, who seems to be able to do it with one person. If you ask him nicely, he's very good it's at that. It's pretty kind of. amazing what you guys do with. Uh, I mean, some of these some of these do only have like three people, and yet it feels a lot richer. There seems to be a lot going on, even though there are only three actors in the room. Oh, it helps that we've got a really good sound designer. I mean, he's just really, really good. And, uh, you know, and and so Alistair Locke, who also does the music in some, most of them, is an excellent sound designer. So you, you know that you're going to say, I want a lift to open. You're not going to get a kind of very dull sound. You're going to get a good sound. If you want a windswept landing field, you get a windswept landing field. You know, he's, he's, so you can give it a kind of more, he gives it that kind of epic feel. He gives that kind of more of an epic feel than, than, than you probably would feel. So even though you've only got three actual actors, he gives it a lot of epic feel. He can, he does a lot of background voices, sort of lays in crowd sounds and stuff to give it that kind of much more crowded kind of sense so that you feel, you never feel you're kind of like only one, one, you know, one person. Also, there's lots of other little writery tricks. There's talking to people. Who aren't there? <laughs> talking to people on phones and stuff. That, you know, like you can talk to minor characters on phones and they're not there. And, and talking to the camera a lot, which is always good for yep. keeping cast this down and stuff. Well, so, that's the know. thing. Is, 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 uh, I think the biggest cost, other than, you know, hiring a writer, is, 
it's got to be for audio drama. It's got to be hiring the actors and getting a studio time because all of the all of the visuals are are gone, but the story, the basic story, is there. And then you you do the acting, and then then you layer in the sound effects, and it's got to be you know compared to a television show about a thousand times cheaper. Even even oh, with good, the expensive yes. actors, right? Yes. Even with expensive mm-hmm. actors or whoever. You're still about a thousand times cheaper than a TV As, show. But the really good thing is the quality of the actors you can get because it's you amazing. Commit for for like seven weeks. They're only committing for like a couple of days. So and actors actors being paranoid people will take all the work they can get. So you can get really really good actors. You know, really really good. Like you know, just you've some, got you've got some of the uh, best actors working in yeah, England. It's some amazing. Of the British best British character actors that exist, basically. I mean, and and others. Colin Salmon, who was very good. Michael Prade was a total revelation. You know, I had this kind of had him for this kind of small that Robin part. himself. There you go. Yes, and had I known they were going to cast Michael Payne or that his voice still had that quality. Uh, the part would have been, I would have written a bigger part. It's we pretty... want to, we, you know, he's we're, we're, we're seriously thinking if we get to ever get to do a third season, we'll definitely want to bring him back that character back. As... Uh, well, I hope you do. Yeah. I, 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 so charismatic. It was just, I hope you, you are, you are planning more, right? Because it's said 2.1 on the last one I got. And that's yeah. the Zen episode, uh, which, which by the way, I think is, uh, I, I thought, how can they do a, a prequel for you know what is essentially a robot who has no personality? Well, guess what? You did an amazing. Uh, I guess you didn't write that one, but you guys no, did an amazing yeah. backstory on, and filled in all, a lot of the details that were sort of hinted at in the series, but uh, gave you know a real foundation. It's well, what I, I really love about this show uh, that you guys are doing is that it's actual. It's real science fiction. Uh, in a space opera setting, right? It's real science fiction ideas, so- sociological science fiction, or um, uh, what are the consequences? You know, thinking through the consequences of a lot of the, you know, if you look, come from a clone society, what, what, uh, what is, what are uh, personal relationships like when everybody's telepathic? You know, uh, this is stuff that is well thought through. It's not just a yeah, we wanted to avoid Recycling. the kind of like uh, we wanted. To avoid, I mean, one of the things was is because we're coming from a '70s show, and one of the besetting sins of '70s shows was they would have like a, a, a technological breakthrough of the week yeah. that would have no sociological consequences, and also you have all these things where like like there's no women doing anything; women are still in the kitchen. And you know, and you sit there, you watch them go. Oh my god! You know, did you miss miss some tricks? You know. We we sat down and we said it's not going to be like this. We're going to have some thought about the technology. We're we're not going to just throw in things like the the teleporter and stuff like that without thinking through the consequences of of what happens and what what the consequences of it are. And uh, we we done a lot of the background. I mean, I I'm I'm, in, I'm very geeky. I did maps. I did. I'm I'm unashamedly did star maps and and trade routes and wow. like that. We got to put that on the website or something. <laughs> You're never seeing it in case we deviate from it. <laughs> never, never put that on the website because that becomes a hostage to fortune. Right. You, you, you let it when, when you get some fool to do the game, you use it for that, and then yeah. um, then you can claim the game people messed up. <laughs> Here, here's your Bible. Oh, yeah. but, but we're not going to stick to it. Just you. 
<laughs> well, that's a, you see, that's the thing. You, you, you've got to be very careful because in the old days, no one cared, right? But yeah. now someone will email you the next day if you mess something up. Someone will point it out to you. You know, someone has to be really motivated to, and, and because these things can actually get, they, the, the internet acts like a huge, huge echo chamber and people, people kind of like, um, you know, ideas get out of hand. They kind of like vibrate and then they become what I believe is called fanon, where they, these ideas take on a kind of life of their own, where people so agreed amongst the fan fan base that they really, they're, they're really true. That when you violate them, people get very upset with you, even though you never actually said that's the way it should be. They just they came to like that, that conclusion. They came to that conclusion and it became fixed. And you've got to be very careful about that. So you mustn't offer these kind of hostages to fortune unless... Unless you know you're you're quite clear on it, or you don't care. You see, some people don't care, in which case they can do what they like. Yeah, well, uh, ultimately, uh, I don't think the majority of these uh, these discussions are going to make the show make or break a, a show. You know, a TV show is not made or break broken by a thousand people in one room. A TV uh, show, maybe not, but uh, yeah. an audio an audio series, yes, it is. Uh, yes, it's, yes. Uh, if yeah. the people who are currently downloading my stuff on, on BitTorrent were to actually buy it, um, there'd be a next series it, by now. Is it on BitTorrent? I haven't looked. Oh, it's BitTorrented all over the place. Oh, really? Every, well, that's, that because, that's a very high compliment. because It's a very high compliment, but it is, it's very frustrating because when you say, where is the second and third season, we need people to buy them. We can't, you know, we've got to finance them. We've got to convince people that we can finance them, which, which we love you because you say, buy these things. We think but... You know, unless people people have got out of the habit of paying for stuff they like, and I'm not saying this in 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 our in you know we've got to find a model by which people can can or it's just not going to there's not going to be anything there really isn't. Well, it seems to me that uh, I I don't know I don't think there is a market in North America in the way that there is in the UK for. You know, CDs of audio drama. I don't see them for sale anywhere here. No, I think there's a market for downloading now. I think yeah. there's a market for downloading I mean, all sorts of things now. Yeah. And, and I, I think. Uh, and we, Audible. Uh, is it? Are you guys on. I, yeah, I, we're on Audible. We're on Audible and everything now. We're okay. apparently up to date technological, even. So, yeah, because I, I had heard you, you were trying to get on there, and, and I was thinking, I know if you guys aren't on Audible, I don't even know how you're, how you're doing any sales because. Honestly, there are no bookstores around here that that carry audio drama, and and I know that in the UK they've got catalogs and they've got uh, you know there's the tradition. You you also have written some Doctor Who audio dramas, is that right? Or Bernice Summerfield, I think it was. No, I've written uh, Bernice Summerfield books, but there are the, you have the Big Finish, which just makes yeah a, Big Finish makes a very good living out of um, out of. Doctor, a whole secondary Doctor Who market, a whole secondary Doctor Who market that Big Finish have with audio dramas. and Because the thing is, um, the great thing about audio is, is like you said, it's, it's an order of magnitude less expensive than television. And so, therefore, you can do audio dramas and get them out to people and for, for quite a niche market, which is quite good because you, get, you, you have a fandom and they want more products of their fandom. Um, but there's not enough of them to really justify more, you know, you can't pay physically generate the money for another series or a spin-off series, but you can generate the money for an audio series and, and books. So, because the cost level is so much lower. And I think this is real. I think this is 
an excellent thing. And I think what's going to happen is is that all of these things are going to end up just being digital, and it be- really will become a question of whether enough people, whether pricing levels, can, a pricing level can be found where these things are sustainable, so that people don't think, oh god, that's so expensive, I'm just going to bit torrent it, I'm just going to download it. Yeah, it's it, it, a lot of it is is you know, uh, you say it's good. Uh, how can I how can I find out for myself? Because yes. I, I, I if I don't have it in front of me, you know, I hear something's good. Well, if I don't have it in front of me and it's it's a, a relatively easy easy uh, attack, how do I know that I'm not wasting my money? Especially when I mail away for it. But if, uh, if you have that instant, if you have that instant, hey, I heard this is good. I've got a credit on Audible. I'm going to grab it and and snap it up you know very very easily and then oh that was good and oh look they have more you know yes. then then you're gonna i, I yeah, think that's I, the majority I, of the audience right i think i think that's the marketing i think that's the marketing i don't even mind someone if they bit turn it think it's good and then buy it exactly i have got no problem with that the main thing is but if you want more stuff to be made you people have to pay for it it's just that simple and i'm speaking here as someone you know at the other end of the production pipeline absolutely <laughs> Yeah, because we we've actually written series two. We've written series two. Oh, is it all? Wow. We've written series three. We just literally. Oh, well, actually, the main problem with series two is not just money, but also getting the cast back together. It's like it's such a big cast. <laughs> and yeah, their schedules—they're all working. Yeah, that's a different... trouble with a series called Blake Seven. It involves <laughs> getting them all in the same room. Yeah, I mean, even though you don't necessarily have to, you know, uh, people say, "Oh, you could." You know, have them all differently. You could have them phone them in, phone it in from the set. In. But the thing, the truth of the matter is, is that actually they like it much better as actors. They like coming together. It gives it that kind of more, um, kind of, I suppose, stage feel. They feel like they're they they're more comfortable doing it. You get better performances, and then they we, we like to play them off. You 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 can do that with animated movies because. The, Often they go back and they do retakes and they do retakes and you have scratch tracks and things. So it's a different production process from, from say, doing an animated film, really, doing a, an audio thing. An audio thing, you go in, you pretty much get it nailed in the first three or four days. You do it, you know, sit down four days, you, that's like two to three hours of drama. Yeah, you can usually tell right, right there how it's going because you don't have to look at the dailies. You could just listen. Close your eyes. Yeah, and, and they're also fun. People, the actors enjoy it, and you, that gives they give better performances. They spark off each other. They can ask the act. You know, I'm there. They can ask me how I th- what how I think that line's supposed to be read. What the meaning is there? Well, especially with science fiction, you know, what is a singly bulb or something? You know, what is a teleporter? Why is it? Why so, is this guy scared of that? So series two is is prequel based on what I've seen in Zen. No, no, series, series two is the next series. Ah, ah series. okay. The well, prequels it, are, a, are prequel prequels. Prequel 2.1, it said 2.1. Yeah, those are the prequels. Okay, so there's a prequel series two, uh, prequel series two. Yeah. And then there's a series two that's already written, you said. Yes, it's already ah, written. Okay, um, uh, this is exciting. Yes. And very good it is too. I should think so because I write. <laughs> uh, so does it? Does it, do? Are we generally continuing with where the the plot takes us in? Yes, it literally starts like two seconds after the. Wow. <laughs> <after> okay. <laughs> at the middle of the end of the okay. it's like, like two seconds later. There you are. It's like you know we're we're not opting out of that. We're not copying out of that. We we go straight into that. Oh, that's great. We were very pleased. James did a really good. Kind of like we, we said, right? You've written this into this corner, James. Now you write us out of it. 
it's uh, it's it's hard to imagine. You know, four years down the road, I guess is what what the show ran four years on the original series, Blake Seven, yeah. something like that. But you guys have really what you did is, is you filmed the first maybe three episodes at max. I think it was actually like the first episode is the first half of Rebel. Is that right? And then it sort of expands out a little bit to the point where they actually they're on the Liberator, and then no, no, the first the first episode I did three episodes. I, I tore through. I did three. I did the way back, um, Sigmus Alpha, and um, I think the one after that. So at the, at the at, it's the end of the first serial. The first actually no three. Rebel. There's the one where yeah you have the Rebel. Um, so that's my episode. And then the, the second two, the second two episodes, we started moving away from the actual TV series in terms of specific episodes at that point. So we, those were much more original, although they followed the general idea. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, so I'm just then, I'm just trying to think of what happens next in the TV series that that because it, it, it seemed to me like like it was Battlestar Galactica was rebooted, right? They rebooted that and they kept the original premise and then deviated. And then they'd come back to, you know, the iconic, uh, there's the episode of with the Pegasus, Battlestar with the Pegasus, right? Um, and, and that show only ran one year, right? That, the original Battlestar Galactica only ran one year. And then they, they went off and did their own thing. And they sort of strung out stuff. So is there, are there some other things that are um, in the original series that... Oh, yeah, we, we bring back an iconic thing. We, we have plans for Orac and we have plans for, for the system... Ah. And and all that sort of stuff. I mean, uh, if you think of it, the first one is kind of like the Federation trilogy. Yeah. The second one is the system and Oranar, I would say. Okay. Because we we what we did is we worked out much more the relationship between Oranar and 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 Earth and the Federation and where they came from and what the conflict is about and. Uh, and the ideological debate, you know, divide between Oranar and 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 the and the federation and also the system what they were where what their origin was what they were afraid of what their why why were they tooling around with these great big battleships what was well we get we get hints of that in zen uh yes and and that's what you see that's why it was, we could write zen because we'd worked out all that backstory we yeah you can te- you can see that there 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 was some like just listening to zen i was thinking holy crap they actually this isn't just like a this is they've actually thought about all the stuff that was in the show, and then they thought, "How do we make this interesting?" And and there's a whole lot that's not in the actual episode that you can tell was you know thought through. And then it, it's yeah, so you are working out those maps and stuff. Oh yeah, no, we were we were very we were aiming for depth. You see, the thing about science fiction is is that it doesn't necessarily have to be real, but it has to have depth. Yeah. Yeah. People know when there's depth. People know when when you've thought things through. They know when you've when you've put some depth into something, and they know when you're just superficial. And and uh, I don't know about you, but there were things like in Battlestar Galactica, there was this bit where they were landing the spaceships, and they were landing like carrier aircraft, mm-hmm. and I just wanted the head desk because I just thought you just haven't thought about it. You just haven't bothered to think about the difference between carrier operations and operations off a, off deck of a mythical spaceship and i said this to people they said well why do you care i just thought because i care okay just, yeah you know give me a break it's uh yeah there, there, there but, was there was a lot of of the 
there was a lot of episodes in the later Battlestar Gal- I mean, basically, I, I saw the miniseries, and I thought, oh my god, this show's going to be great. And then 33, the first, I think it was the first episode of the new season or whatever it was, I said, holy shit, if every episode's like this, this is going to be the greatest sh- television show ever. And then there was lots of good episodes, and then there's, uh, they lost control of something. And, and I don't know, some people like the last... That how they concluded it. I'm not. I I, I felt that they they lost control of it, and yeah. I think that's why you end up with what I think is considered to be a day ex machina. So so would you say that the problem was they actually didn't have a plan? Would you say? Yeah, that? I would say he had no idea what was. Yeah. So the silence of the plan, but they're not sure exactly what the. But it's it's over there in that folder. But oh, look, the folder's empty. Right. I I don't blame him because it's very easy to do that while writing a very complicated TV series with lots of pressures from lots of different directions uh, on what people want out of it and people going oh you having an idea that contradicts it. It's very hard to sustain. Um. Uh, to just to, it's just very difficult for for someone like more for more to have sustained sustained a coherent plan all the way through. I would have been amazed. It's like Lost, where I think he was just making this shit up at the end too. <laughs> I, I I stopped yeah. watching after the second season, <laughs> and uh, and I think I don't blame them because when you're writing a TV series, you're the most favorable working assumption you can make is that you will be cancelled at the end of the series. Probably yeah. before the end of the series, and most people work on that assumption. You cannot, especially in this current environment. Your assumption is that you will not make it past the next series. That you you're really unlikely. You know, even if you're doing quite well, they may just cancel you because you know they didn't like it. People, or they got they they got something else they think is better than, or they think something else is better, or or if you feel like even and even when you do have it all worked out from the start, actors leave. Like what happened to Paul Straczynski? You know, <laughs> the actor goes, "I'm off." Bye. Well, I, yeah, I think that worked out pretty well. I, he, <laughs> he he seems to you know he seems to have really held it together until the the final season. Well, and, well I mean, the thing is, is that he got he finished this season and then they said to do another season. I mean, that's what I heard anyway. Yeah. No, he he compressed. He said he compressed the the final episode, and you know there was some redeeming stuff in the final season, but uh, well, I didn't have Ivan or I went right off it because. <laughs> Because she'd gone off as well. She'd disappeared. I mean, that wasn't his fault. But, you know, the thing yeah. is, is, in television, it's like, television is like life. It ends up being something while you're making other plans, isn't it? It's, 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 you have these great plans, but it's, it's extremely hard. So I don't blame more for losing control of it or, or scrambling or having to patch things up with gaffer tape at one point. Um, I, I think he did a very good job, but I, I, I got, I got tired of it because it's just too grim. I just got a bit fed up with it. It's, do you it's think? Like, do you think part of it, part of the problem is the the number of seasons, the number of episodes per season? This is something I perceive is is wrong with American television. Is when when it when they they do twenty two or twenty four episodes for a season when really they've got enough material for about thirteen or twelve or six. Depends on the show, right? And part of it is Dexter only does twelve episodes or something, and that doesn't that one doesn't fall apart, right? I, I think the thing is, you, you. I think it depends on the show. You think the thing about detective series, for example, is detective series can do twenty-two episodes a season because the detective character, of the detective, does not change that much from episode to episode. You do not need a character arc for the detective. Detectives don't change their personalities. Yeah. Okay. And your and what you have is you always have the mystery. So a series I like, The Mentalist, for example. Right. 
you can have as many because Jane doesn't change. It's boss, you know, the occasionally people change in patient, but you don't want too much character changing or law and order where, where they obviously have what I call the, the two minute rule, which is like in law and order, you're allowed two minutes of non plot related drama per episode, which yeah. I think is an admirable level. <laughs> it's, you know, I don't want one to great reason that. to watch the show. I think they canceled it though, didn't they? Yeah, well, I think yeah, I think even them after ten seasons. I think, oh, I think it's I think it's more than that. I think it's it was like fifteen or something. It was something ridiculous. It was beginning to. It just you know sometimes you you just get fed up. You just sometimes things have to have to stop, however well they're going, sure. and it's best. But not Doctor well. Who, apparently. <laughs> Well, Doctor Who's like Doctor Who reinvents itself. Doctor Who reinvents itself practically every single time a new Doctor comes along. Let alone, you know, after hiatus, after after the twenty five years. Even more than James Bond, I think. Uh, You know, James Bond doesn't really change with the times. He he changes actors, but uh, the Doctor starts off as an old man, and then he becomes a uh, I don't know a, a. jester and then you know a yeah, scientist and just have a tone you just have a tonal change and that, that allows it to just effortlessly shift personality to suit the time within which within which it's broadcast it's is it possible to think of uh, like i'm just thinking is there any show that has a less i mean other than the standard things where you know uh, doctor these quarters all look the same and uh you know the tardis showing up i mean even they did they went a whole season or without without an uh, using the tardis right yes um uh in well, the well, years right Earth. yeah yeah sure so uh, it's almost like it's the universal television format. It doesn't require uh, they go to a new planet every episode. They can stay well, it's, on the it's, it's parasitical, Doctor Who. It can feed off other formats. Yeah. So it, it, it goes, oh, I'll have some of that kind of horror this week. I'll have some of this. I'll nick from that. I'll steal from that. I, I, I said that at the beginning of one of my books. I said... Uh, um, Talent borrows, genius steals, but new adventures writers get it off the back of a wheelbarrow. (laughs) And that's essentially what Doctor Who, if it wanted to steal from Frankenstein, it stole Frankenstein. Yeah, more brainy Steal steal from, you know, uh, Greek Greek legends, it would steal from Greek legends. You know, uh, Russell T. Davis uh, was perfectly happy to steal from a whole range of kind of modern soap operas and stuff that he thought were interesting and, and, and this is not a problem, you know. This is not a problem. You see, it's it's a very protein. The more protein a format is, the more it can survive over a sustained period of time. The more specific a format is, like Battlestar Galactica, the harder it is for it to sustain over a certain time. After all, the problem with Battlestar Galactica was they were on a convoy looking for Earth chased by Cylons. That's your pitch, right? Yep. Uh, uh, sooner or later, you've got to ask, are they ever fucking going to get to Earth? It's just going to come up, you know, regardless of how well... Yeah, the there's no end game in Doctor Who. There's no end game. There's no Earth. There's no Earth in Endgame. There's no what the frick are the silence up to in, uh, in Doctor Who. And that's the same with um, the reason why detective series also go on for very long, because there's no end game in that. Crime, there's always crime, there's always murders, and there's always someone who catches them. So there is no kind of like finite point at the end of it, except, you know, the guy gets old and retires. Right. Uh, going back to uh, what you were you were saying very interestingly about how the writers get too much control in the UK uh, TV now. They, they don't uh, get too much control because as a writer, there is no time. They get too much blame? I don't know. They, no, they're used as a crutch by, by, um, they're used as a crutch by management. 
what, 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 one of the things that makes it different from uh, American TV, you know, when you're watching The Mentalist, it doesn't say The Mentalist episode number whatever, and by so-and-so, it, no. you don't know who the writer is, unless it's a show like Babylon 5 or even, uh, I, I'm sure a lot of people didn't know Ron Moore was the, the guy behind, uh, I, maybe it says created by or something, but uh, in, especially in the BBC uh, stuff that I've seen, you know, it'll say, um, it'll say, remembers to the Daleks by Ben Aronovich. Yeah, no, there, there is there is that there is that tradition. It's it's actually uh, worse and better than it looks. Um, I would kill to work in the American system because the American system is run by writers. You see, so I go, you go into a meeting uh, at uh, say Law and Order or something, and you sit down and you go, I think what we need to do is have a bit of a more twist at the third act, turning point, and then compress it down a little bit, and then elide that scene and move it back. They all know what you're talking about, mm-hmm. which is something that you don't always get when you're working in British television. They kind of give you these kind of blank looks. So they and just also, give you the title? They don't give you the... the well, no, they, 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 they don't get it. They don't, you see, the thing is, is that in America, you wouldn't get a script editor who'd never written a script. Which you, you just get a lot, Most script editors in Britain have never written a script. A lot of them haven't written scripts. I've worked with lots of very good people, but they've never written a script. And one thing you learn how to do when writing is you learn by doing. You learn by doing. You learn, even if it's crap, even if you write a crap script, you still learn something about how a script is written. And always the problem for me is I'm, I'm sitting there talking to people and I'm, I'm not confident that they know what I'm talking about when I'm talking. So you constantly have to kind of over-explain things. You have to do these long outlines that have kind of like every... T- I crossed T dotted or whatever and it takes a lot more wearing whereas in the American system you're working in a, in a writer's room and they understand you you understand what's expected of you they understand but you're talking to people who value what the writers are doing a lot more it's, it, mm. uh, but, but you're, so at one level you're kind of much more impersonalized because you're part of a team and on the other hand you, you get a much more of a sense of value because A they pay you such a lot more money as well in America. So as uh, fr- my friend um, used to say, that money will pay for a lot of kind of uh, mental therapy afterwards <laughs> for my ignorance things, you know. And you get a lot you get a lot more credit. There's a, it's very hard as a writer in Britain to go up the greasy chain to become a producer, whereas in America you become a showrunner. I mean, becoming a writer is a route up to becoming a showrunner. And so, you know, there are swings around about us. Yes, and there are some things I don't like about it. I'd like more credit if I was an American writer. Um, and as a British writer, I'd like more money, <laughs> you know. And uh, I'd like more support. I'd like more writers. I'd like a proper writer's room. Because the thing is, is that even bad American television is written to a standard, an average standard that's now higher than just about writing in any other, writing in films, writing in British television. It's just written the average standard of writing. You take the most mundane episode of something. It's true, but the but the market demand makes 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 the end product very yeah homogenous. It homogenizes ah, the end product. Yeah, what the what you get is very. Uh, take my one of my favorite series, like Castle. Okay, Castle is fluff. Right, it's very yeah. enjoyable fluff, but it's beautifully written fluff. Okay, but it knows what it is. It doesn't think to itself, "I'm going to try and bring in the conventions of you know a cat on top tin roof into this, so that we're going to." kill i'm going to break your heart and ruin your thing but it's beautifully written in terms but of it like, is soul deadening i i've been watching it and i've been enjoying it and you know they 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 basically they got really good actors and 
because they're writing twenty two episode season, they said, Okay, so this week what what's the what's the what's the what's the one thing we can add new this week that we haven't done before? And so they did an episode not that long ago on uh I don't know, psychics or something. And there wasn't anything in that episode that I haven't no, seen I haven't a thousand seen. times before. And I thought, you know, am I gonna watch this series anymore? I I don't know. Maybe I'll have to pick and choose my episodes because it just was, you know, it started off very fun, and uh, but the problem is, is great actors, good writers, and a huge long format that doesn't, you know, I, I have advance to the game though, at all. I don't know. It, it, I'm, I'm, no, no, I, mean, I, I think you're right. I think I think some series should be thirteen episodes a, a year, even though that would then deprive me for thirty-nine. <laughs> well, you can work on you can work on something else, right? Only procrastination, you know. <laughs> But, uh, yes, no, they could be... I, I mean, I think there are some things that could be... Like, HBO generally does 13-episode seasons. Of yeah, seasons. or, yeah, some... some, some, And, yeah, I think all the... I mean, the really great writing is mostly happening on... Or at least the really great shows are mostly happening on uh, the cable networks, I think. Well, HBO, I mean, makes a point. You see, HBO goes, we can't become... HBO knows it can't become like CBS or NBC, okay? It knows it has to stay ahead of the pack, so there's always that pressure on, on HBO because the moment it just becomes another kind of provider of kind of mid middle-brow uh, television, it, it, it knows it's screwed. And it can, they can swear. I mean, they can sh- swear and blind and have sex and all sorts of things on HBO that you can't do on a network show. So they know they have to keep pushing the envelope. They know they have to keep finding new things that are... That are, are kind of going to differentiate it from from CBS. So I I think the pressure on HBO is always to do that. But I think what you're looking at is you're looking at people who are trained on things like Castle, yeah, are working on things like True Blood. You know, yeah. people that are trained on these series. Ron Moore cut his teeth on kind of you know the, these kind of like wallpaper shows. And then, then you say now now you can do this. Now we're going to open up. Now your your vistas are wider and the. the discipline, the sheer craft that these people have after working for that long on television, you know, working in a proper writer's room environment with other writers, you just get a level of craft that I, I think is kind of slowly kind of hemorrhaging out of the British industry. It worries me that the level of craft. You still get it though. We have a series called Downton Abbey which was written by um, Julian Fowler and it's just the most beautifully written piece of work I've seen in a very I'm going to have to look that up because I, I've not heard of that. It's a, it's it's a absolutely beautiful. It's a, it's, a, it's kind of like a period piece set in a big house in in I think 1906, and uh, it's sort of up. It's kind of like following the servants and the and the masters and and uh, upstairs downstairs. It's like upstairs downstairs, but it's it's kind of like upstairs downstairs, but written you know 30 years after the original upstairs downstairs. So it's it's allowed to be kind of like much more kind of. I don't know. You'd have to watch it, but it's beautifully constructed, given that it's got about thirty-eight characters. Well, so you sounds, have a first episode good. that's like an hour long, and it's just. But I mean, I'm saying that they're, they're, I'm not kind of. I don't want to get too kind of like end of the world is nigh about this. There are still very good writers around. Well, the the good news is um, still not getting paid. The good news is you're not working in Canadian television, which amazingly uh, not improving. It's it, it had a really great run with a show called Da Vinci's Inquest, which is one of the greatest cop dramas ever uh, in in my book. And then uh, that was canceled. And then um, and then the follow up series by the same guy, Chris Haddock, who I I don't know where he's working now, but he 
whatever he's worked on, I've really enjoyed. He did a couple American shows, I think. Uh, but he did a show in Vancouver uh, called Intelligence, which was uh, about, uh, you know, I guess spies in 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 the local industry. Very realistic, very gritty, very interesting, low budget, but doesn't look it, and canceled. Um, so w- w- they would do a 13-episode season, um, uh, with a tiny Canadian audience, right? Because we got one tenth of the population in the United States, and run it on commercial television, and still, even with good ratings, still not not supported. I mean, it's got to be, you know, hard to work in the UK, but uh, compared to well, the you, States, you but have a thousand I mean, times worse than Canada, is my guess. You, you have this problem. You have this uh, enormous problem that. Um uh, the pressure must be on every single Canadian producer is to kind of denaturize your product so it can be sold in America. Well, you would, you would think, um, you would think that, uh, but there, there's this market. I mean, there is, and so CTV does a bunch of shows that that air on CBS, I think, and. You know, oh, it's set in Toronto, but don't worry too much about that because it's really... A well, there's always pop. that unspecified North American city that looks suspiciously like Toronto. Well, yeah, I mean, we, I we mean, had all those I, shows like The Highlander and stuff that were set in Seattle or something vaguely like that. Yeah, really. vaguely the, the, yeah. the, the Northwest, or Seacouver, I think, believe it's called now. <laughs> Could be, yeah. <laughs> But I mean, it's got to the point. It's like um, because of uh, uh, Battlestar Galactica and and um, Stargate, I now know the area around Vancouver very well. I know all the good filming locations. There's this particular valley that everyone seems to film at all the time. And I remember, yeah. oh, it's that valley again. I recognize. Yeah, there's that. A, a lake. Uh, if you saw the 4400, they use this this lake nearby. Uh, yeah. And actually, it's I'm going to go walking there tomorrow. Uh, very nice. It looks very pretty. Oh yeah, it's 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 really it's really good in, in, until they say it's an alien planet, and he said, "No, that's where I'm going for a walk later." <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like everywhere is exotic except for when it's where where where. Um, yeah, you go to university at uh, at um, at uh, what's this? Caprica, Caprica yeah. City is my university. <laughs> oh, well, that's turned up in everything. That's yeah. that one they use for the marketplace. Yeah. I've seen that in every single science fiction show made in Vancouver ever. Yeah, it's it's one. It's got a distinctive architecture that yeah. that they like. But if you look at it a li- even a little bit closely on the on the shows, you can see it's all covered in moss because nobody's you know nobody's really taking care of it that well. They just well, they say it's, it still looks good, but don't look too closely in HD. It it'll be you know sort of well worn. I don't know, but you want to work on that. You could do it decaying Vancouver. And then you could do yeah, well. Caprica City is decaying. (laughs) This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.